I'm Gary Cooper with the Cooper Charlet Farm in Granbury, Texas. We're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Thanks so much for taking time to join me for another edition of Texas Ag Today. So jump on in with me. Buckle up. Let's take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, all of our crops are struggling with high temperatures and drought right now, and peanuts are no exception. We'll check in with one Texas peanut grower and the executive director of the Texas Peanut Producers Board coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Our drought is affecting Texas panhandle crops in a variety of ways. I'm James Hunt, and coming up on Texas Ag Today, we'll hear one farmer describe strategic moves being made in response to difficult growing conditions. There are three million feral hogs across Texas. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have a report on various projects in the state to control the wild pigs and protect cropland and watersheds. All on Texas Ag Today. During a drought, little can be done to increase forage pasture growth. Proper management can minimize the impacts of drought on your operation. We will discuss management recommendations to minimize the impact of drought. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. On paper, the Texas peanut crop looks okay, given the drought and high temperatures we're experiencing. This week's crop ratings show Texas peanuts rated 26% good to excellent, 63% fair, and only 11% rated poor to very poor. But that's not what we're hearing out in the field. Shelly Nutt is executive director of the Texas Peanut Producers Board. I talked to one farmer in Gaines County, and he's basically just shut the wells off and has walked away from his crop completely. Um, just knowing that the cost of production is going to be far more than what he can make on it. And so he's just abandoned all of his crops. Uh, I have another farmer that is, um, his water is a little stronger and he thinks that he's going to see about a 30% reduction in his peanut yields, but he's still hanging on right now. So, and then we get up into, into the Memphis area, up in Hall County in the Panhandle. Peanuts are holding on in some areas and other areas not. So, it's depending on where the farm's located, if they had any rain at all, how their water situation looks for irrigation. Another peanut farmer who's hanging on to his crop right now is J.R. Cudd. He grows peanuts southwest of Lubbock, but he says the clock is ticking on his crop. I haven't given up on any of mine. I mean, if we don't see in some improvement by Usually about August 15th, if we don't get a rain by then, and usually it takes a rain or a vent where it cools off to about eh, somewhere in that 85 degree temperature, ambient temperature on our pegging and fruiting. That's what I'm hoping if we get some of those temperatures in the next, by 
August 10th or so to get our last fruiting schedule for our peanuts to happen on the pegging pegging end. But uh, I have not gave up on any of mine yet, for sure. But there are a few acres that completely gave up on out here. We've seen a nice bounce in the cotton market over the past week, and it is a welcome development after the total meltdown the market experienced earlier this month. Texas Tech's Dr. Darren Hudson says there are enough fundamental factors at play to justify higher prices. I, you know, it's it's always hard to tell. The high 90s, I think, are supported by the supply-demand fundamentals. Certainly, I don't claim to know much about what the market's going to do tomorrow, but uh, I just don't think a high 80s, low 90s is sustainable given uh, where the, the crop is likely to end up as we move into you know September and uh, October. December cotton broke above the 95-cent level yesterday after hitting a low of 82 cents back on July 15th. The drought is affecting Texas panhandle crops in a variety of ways. James Hunt checks in with one farmer who's making adjustments to deal with it. When spring planting time arrived this season, farmers throughout our region were up against extremely dry conditions that had already taken hold for about seven or eight months. Justin Garrett with County Line Farms in the northern panhandle says prior to planting, the effort to compensate for the lack of rain was made on their operation, but with little success. You know, did some pre-water a little bit more than normal and thought we had a handle on things, but it's been so dry and hot, we can't keep up with everything. Garrett says with harsh growing conditions continuing through the season, crop maturity has been affected. In response, one move County Line Farms is making is to abandon some of their struggling corn and redirect water from those acres to cotton in hopes of preventing premature cutout, which can be a consequence of insufficient moisture. As the cotton plant grows during the season, it adds what we call nodes that has a limb down the main stem. And each limb, that's where your fruit is put on. And so each stack of a node gives you a chance to make some more fruit. Cutout means you put fruit right at the very top, and it pretty much stops its growth. And all you have is what has occurred during the season as far as limb counts, fruiting nodes. So if it does that early, then you're pretty much maxed on what your yield can be. So if we can just stack a little bit more on there, have some potential. We've got a good time left. We still have all of August, and hopefully we have a decent September to finish it out. But it's a delicate balancing act. Garrett says if you put too much water on cotton, it starts to think it's a tree. It will shed fruit and push more energy into the growth. And so you always have to keep it almost dead, but keep it alive. (laughs) More from Justin Garrett tomorrow as we discuss wheat. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The fight against feral hogs continues. Tom Nicoletti has an update on the effort to control wild hogs here in Texas. My guest today is Mike Bodenchuk. He is state director of Texas Wildlife Services, and he joins me to talk about the feral hog problem across the state of Texas, where there are three million of the wild hogs statewide, and these invasive species damage crops. They're predators on livestock, uh, creating natural resource damage, also damages to landscapes and lawns in suburban and urban areas, along with golf courses and parks, and you name it, they're damaging uh, a lot out there. And uh, this totals to about $500 million in damages annually in Texas. Give us an update on the situation at this point. Texas Wildlife Services is 
charged with resolving human wildlife conflicts. The biggest piece of our business these days is feral hog damage. Feral hogs are in almost every county in the state. Now, according to the 2019 Farm Bill, there were pilot projects and funding that came out of that legislation that allowed for uh, three projects uh, in Texas. Talk about those pilot projects, and when you do talk about the regions, uh, the Panhandle, Red River, and Upper Leon River individually, and which counties are involved, and and what uh, has taken place there. The original Farm Bill projects in Texas included the Canadian River drainage, Hartley, Oldham, and Potter counties, and we're working there to protect watersheds and cropland. In the Red River, it's both watersheds and crops again. That's uh, Wichita, Clay, Wilbarger counties, and then the Upper Leon drainage is Eastland, and Comanche counties. All three of those main areas, we're trying to remove as many pigs as possible in a short period of time and provide relief to agriculture and to the watershed. That is Mike Bodenchuk, Texas Wildlife Services State Director. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. During a drought, there is very little you can do to grow more grass. Forage specialist Dr. Vanessa Olson has some management tips that may help you cope with the heat and dry weather. Careful management early in a drought can minimize long-term stand damage and help maintain forage yields when rains do come. If pastures are managed properly during times of low moisture, the effects of drought will be less severe and pastures will rebound faster when precipitation is sufficient. The first recommendation is to reduce stocking rate if you believe forage supply will be limited. The longer decisions to decrease livestock numbers are delayed, the sooner the forage supply will be exhausted. Delaying the decision to reduce stocking during a drought accelerates financial losses of the livestock production enterprise. Lack of moisture suppresses plant growth and root development. Allow six to eight inches of new growth before allowing livestock to graze. Roots must be replaced or bare areas will increase and invader weeds will prevail. In addition, overgrazing of plants removes the buds needed for regrowth. If insufficient stubble remains, water capture and infiltration is reduced. So when it does rain again, less water will enter the soil stores for plant growth. Nutrients will be critical for persistence during and following drought conditions. Start with a soil analysis to maximize fertilizer applications. Fertilizer inputs should be reduced during periods of reduced precipitation. Time applications as close to periods of rainfall if possible. Phosphorus and potassium will be critical to maintain an adequate root system for drought persistence and recovery. The last recommendation is to control weeds to reduce competition for moisture and nutrients. Identify weeds early and time applications for effective control. Unfortunately, weeds under drought stress are usually much more difficult to control. Using a high-quality, non-ionic surfactant may improve herbicide absorption. Remember, management practices that minimize damage to pastures during drought are also the same for maintaining healthy pastures in a normal year. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension in Overton for Texas Ag Today. Several birding and conservation projects across the state will receive additional funding this year. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll explain coming up on Texas Ag Today. And nutraceuticals are available for calves, but do they work? Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a look at that question coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Hi, everybody. This is Kerry Martin with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. You know, every day on the radio, 
I have to report on how awful everything is in Texas agriculture right now. The heat, the drought, the markets. I just can't imagine how this is making you feel as a Texas farmer or rancher. Well, if it's getting to you, I want to ask you to give some friends of mine a call. It's called the Texas Agri-Stress Helpline. Here's the number, 833-897-2474, 833-897-2474. Farmers and ranchers are some of the toughest people on earth, but hey, we all need help sometimes. If you just need somebody to talk to in these tough times, Give them a call, 833-897-2474, or if you can't write it down, go to farmlifehelp.com. Do me a favor, don't wait, call them today. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Nutraceuticals are available for calves, but are they effective? Dr. Bob Judd says we're not sure if they are or not. A couple of veterinary researchers at Texas Tech shared their research on multiple nutraceuticals at the 2021 Western Canadian Dairy Seminar. Michael Ballou and Emily Davis said many people are looking for alternatives to antibiotics and nutraceuticals may be an option. To be classified as a nutraceutical, the product has to improve some aspect of animal health or production. This could be in the form of boosting immunity absorbing disease-producing organisms, or having direct antimicrobial activity. While all of this sounds great, Blue and Davis caution that the nutraceutical field in veterinary medicine is uncharted territory, as nutraceuticals are not approved by the Food and Drug Administration. Consequently, proof of effectiveness of nutraceuticals is not required and is lacking in most cases. Also, the compounds do not undergo the scrutiny that is required of drugs like antibiotics. Therefore, statements of the companies regarding composition, dosage, effectiveness, and quality are not independently validated, so we really do not know the ingredients and concentration of the ingredients. Because of this, the companies cannot make label claims about treating specific diseases or organisms. This is not to say they are not effective, but we just do not know. As far as the products, prebiotics are supposed to boost beneficial bacteria in the gut, improve immunity, bind harmful bacteria, and absorb toxins. Probiotics are supposed to enhance microbial communities in the intestine and cell function in the GI tract. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Several birding and conservation projects across the state will receive additional funding this year. Jessica Domel tells more about it in today's Wildlife Report. Conservation projects designed to benefit birds and wildlife across Texas will receive funding this year thanks to the biggest, longest, and wildest birdwatching tournament in the country. The Great Texas Birding Classic was held in April and May, and this year the tournament raised $45,000. According to the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, 187 teams, comprised of more than 1,000 people, participated in the birding tournament. Participants spotted a record 425 species of birds during the spring migration while raising money for a good cause. The winning birding teams selected which projects to fund with this year's proceeds. In Central Texas, $5,000 will go to the Kerrville Bird Observatory Network and to Prairie Preservation at Mother Neff State Park in Coriel County. $1,000 will be used to enhance Circle Acres Nature Preserve grassland and wetland habitats in Travis County. 
In North Texas, $5,000 will be used for a birding platform at Gazebo Nature Preserve at Lake Livingston Dam. $1,000 will go to Trinity River Audubon Center Prairie Restoration in Dallas County. On the Gulf Coast, $5,000 will go to the Packery Channel Oakmont Sanctuary in Noasis County. Funding will also go to the Pollywog Pond in Corpus Christi and be used for wetlands enhancement at Seaborn Creek Nature Park in Rosenberg. A donation will also be made toward the creation of a bird viewing area at Bayside Regional Park in Galveston County. And last but not least, $5,000 will go toward creating space for birds and people at B.J. Bishop Wetlands in Presidio County in West Texas. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. The cattle market closed lower while cotton and grains closed higher. We'll check out all of Thursday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas youth can expect the best in life by holding themselves to the highest standards. And the Texas Farm Bureau can help students put together the pieces that make up a successful leader. Through our Student Success Series, students in 8th through 12th grade can learn more about leadership, networking, and personal professionalism. Registration for Student Success Series is open now. Find out more information at texasfarmbureau.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle market traded lower on Thursday, both live and feeder cattle ending in the red with August live cattle down 62 cents, 136.17. The October down 50 cents, 141.82. December live cattle down 40 cents, 147.77. Same story on the feeder market. August feeder cattle down $1.67, 177.42. September feeders down $1.65 at 180.20. October feeder cattle down $1.75 at $182.72. Cash fed cattle market this week selling most of our cattle here in Texas at $135. That's a dollar lower than last week. And as you move north, the price goes up. Kansas sold cattle from $135 to $137. Nebraska had live sales at $138 to $140. Iowa had live sales from $141 to $145. Boxed beef was lower on Thursday. Choice down 42 cents, 267.57. Select down $1.34 at 240.47. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pins with Larry Marble. Let's hit the livestock auction barn in Giddings. Talk to Phil Brockenbush about the sale he had on Monday. Phil, talk to us about price and quality. How many noses did you count? Turned out good, Larry. We wound up with 2,224 cattle on a on a steady to maybe a little bit higher calf market, and the cows and bulls were steady to, to our market last week, maybe a little bit higher. So it was it was a good day. Good. Walk the pins with us, please. All right. Your steers, 300 and back, average around 162, bring up to 205. Three to four weights, 156 to two dollars. Four to five weights, 151 to 177 and a half. Five to six weights, 144 to 159. Six to seven weights, 139 to 157. Seven to eight weights, 126 to 149. The heifer mate, 300 and back, average around. 
135, bring up to 190. Three to four weights, 146 to 182 and a half. Four to five weights, 141 to 175. Five to six weights, 136 to 159. Six to seven weights, 134 to 152 and a half. Seven to eight, seven to eight weights, 119 to 147. Bull yearlings, seven to eight, 150 pounds, 85 to 149. 850 to 1,000 pounds, 75 to 130. Good. Now on the cow side was a little of it? better. Uh, the cow deal was a little, uh, it was a little better. I don't know if it was the quality of the cows or, or maybe they, I know they added a little money. So the high yielding cows, 60 to 75 and a half. The medium yielding cows, 40 to 59. The low thin cows, 10 to 39. Your bulls, 88 to 98 on the high yielding bulls. The medium yielding bulls, 75 to 87. Do you know of anything for this next go around, Phil? Yeah, we've had some calls. I had a guy call today. He said he's going to sell from, you know, 40 to 70. He had calves and cows. And then, uh, other, you know, I hadn't had a whole lot of calls, but but he called, so I'm sure it'll, it'll be busy again. Right. But maybe it'll maybe it'll rain or something. And maybe so. Maybe so. Hope so. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Phil. You can call me at 979-716-4395 or call the barn at 979-542-2274. Neighbor, that's been Walking the Pins on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm Larry Marble. I'll do it again tomorrow. See you then. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market. Now we're lean hogs finished mixed on Thursday. August hogs up 52 cents at 119.12. The October down 12, 96.32. Class 3 milk closed mixed. Also July milk up 3 cents at 22.54 a hundredweight, while August milk was down 48 at 2019 a hundred. Another big gain in the cotton market on Thursday, despite a lot of negative news, which normally pushes prices down. The weekly export sales report Thursday morning did not look good for cotton. Of course, the U.S. dollar continues to surge higher, and we officially entered a recession on Thursday. But all of that didn't seem to matter. What seems to matter right now is traders are paying close attention to just how bad our cotton crop is looking here in Texas. And it looks bad enough to override all of those other negative factors. We finished Thursday with October cotton up 254 points. Back above a dollar, it closed at 102.37. December cotton up 114 points to close at 96.21. The corn market getting support from a hot, dry weather forecast for the Corn Belt. September corn gaining 14 and three quarters, 6.15 a bushel. December corn up 16 cents at 6.19 a bushel. Both hard and soft wheat had another day of strong gains on Thursday. Traders wondering if we actually will ever see any Ukrainian wheat being exported from the country. September Kansas City wheat up 28 cents, 8.89 and three quarters. September Chicago wheat up 26 and three quarters at 8.17 a bushel. In the energy markets, September natural gas was down 40 cents at 8.14. September crude oil down 16, 97.10 a barrel. The financial markets were higher Thursday afternoon. The Dow up 381 points, 32,579. The Nasdaq up 134 at 12,166. The S&P up 51 points, 4,074. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name's Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state on the planet, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.